is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 11th day of July, 2023, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and anything else I want to talk about. It's good to have you with us. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time. And then the uh, podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Oh, yeah. We webcast 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Friday on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. <laughs> and then you can download the audio podcast. Squirrel Chatter is a proud, if uh, sometimes confused, member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. There are new podcasts joining all the time. There are in excess of 50 podcasts that you can find at the Christian Podcast Community. With selection like that, you're pretty sure to find something worth listening to. So I would encourage you to head on over there and check it out. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And then we are resuming our study Bible-level Bible study of Deuteronomy. I got my Bible open here in front of me and uh, ready to look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, 1 through 7. And uh, then we'll wrap up the program after that. And I got to get out of here because I have a, a, a lunch appointment a couple of hours away. So I need to uh, hit the road right after the podcast. So that's the... That's the my my intent all week had been to pre-record today's episode and then yesterday just got busy with other stuff so that never happened so we are here live and uh, that's the way it ought to be. All right, well, is our as is our practice, let us begin with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father. We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1, by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is entitled, Jesus' Reliance on Scripture. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Matthew 5.18. Dr. MacArthur writes, Repeatedly during his earthly ministry, Jesus referred to the Old Testament as authoritative truth. For example, Matthew 19.4, Matthew 24.38 and 39, Mark 12.26, Luke 11.51, Luke 17.29, John 3.14, John 8.56, etc. Always confirming its accuracy and authenticity. On one occasion, in defending his Messiahship before the unbelieving Jewish leaders, he declared, The scriptures cannot be broken, John 10.35. For Jesus, it was clear that God gave his word to lead people to salvation. In his parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Abraham tells the rich man that if his brothers, whom he did not want to follow him to hell, do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Luke 16.31 Scripture is more than sufficient to bring sinners to salvation. More than once, Christ used Scripture's authority to establish his own. At a Sabbath service in the Nazareth synagogue, he appealed to the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are, opposed, who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Luke 4, 21, cross-references Isaiah 61, 1, Matthew 11, 3 through 5, and Mark 11, 17. Scripture's authority is Jesus' authority, and to obey him is to obey his word. John 6.68, John 8.47 Ask yourself, what argues against our confidence in the convicting, converting power of the word of God? What could we do to ensure that our hearts aren't blinded to this truth, to put ourselves in positions where we can see God at work through the scriptures? Amen. All right, now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, we are back in Deuteronomy. It's been close to a month. <laughs> um, I was gone the first couple weeks of June to camp, and then uh, uh, no, it's just been <laughs> it's been a busy, busy few weeks. Um, but uh, we are back in Deuteronomy. We are in chapter 12, and today we are looking at verses 1 through 7. And let me read those to you now. And I'm using my new LSB giant print reference Bible, which is uh, very nice for me because, A, it's easy to read. It's also, I used for many years the giant print NASB as my preaching Bible. So this is a very familiar layout to me. And... uh, 
I'm, I'm glad to see this available now in the LSB. Um, it's not going to be my preaching Bible. I'm still using the inside column reference Bible that Jeffrey Rice rebound for me um, in that, uh, that gorgeous red leather. Um, that's what, I, what I'm preaching out of. But uh, I'm, this has become my reading Bible. And because uh, it's just it's paragraph format, it's the first LSB in paragraph format, so that's an advantage for people who like paragraphs. And it, uh, I like the the giant print; it's easy to read, um, which is of course why I used it in the pulpit. <laughs> um, and that was even before my eyes got as bad as they are now. These are reading glasses. <laughs> uh, these are my computer glasses. They're not uh, not the uh, they're they're designed for about three or four feet away, and they got the blue block and all that good stuff in them, uh, as opposed to the bifocals that I wear most of the time. All right, Deuteronomy chapter twelve, verses one through seven. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to do in the land which Yahweh, the God of our God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall tear down their altars and shatter their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. And you shall cut the graven images of their gods to pieces and destroy their name from that place. You shall not do this toward Yahweh your God, but you shall seek Yahweh at the place which Yahweh your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offering, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before Yahweh your God and be glad in all that you send forth your hand to do in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. Moses is now, you know, in, throughout Deuteronomy, he is instructing the children of Israel who are about to enter the promised land, about to conquer the promised land. And he's giving them uh, God his final instructions from God um, before because Moses is going to pass away as the Israelites enter into the promised land. So he's, he's giving them instructions now what to do when you get into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you find all these pagan places of worship. Now he's already told them not to follow after these gods, these false gods. But now he's told to destroy the worship places of these false gods. They were located in places that were thought to have um, religious significance or spiritual significance. You know, sacred places, holy land, whatever you want to call it. Um, mountaintops, certain, you know, groves, the, the high mountains, the hills, and every spreading tree. What is that? That's the uh, utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. So we're talking about sacred mountaintop locations 
and sacred groves kind of thing. Um, very similar, if you, or very familiar to you if you read any pagan literature or neo-pagan literature. Um, being a historian and especially a, 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 an Anglophile who has paid attention to the history of England, I've read a lot about the Druids and sacred groves was a big thing for the Druids. Rowan trees and mistletoe and all of that. Oaks and, you know. So that was the, the situation in the land of Canaan. They had established these religious places for the worship of their pagan gods. And that the, the worship of the pagan gods is one of the reasons why the Canaanites were being dispossessed. It was one of the, remember, God is using, God has promised to give the land to Israel, promised that 400 years before to Abraham. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's promised to give the, the, the land to Israel, but he's also judging the Canaanites who were there before. And one of the things that he, they are being judged for is their worship of false gods because every human being is responsible to worship God. And Romans 1 tells us that there is no one who has an excuse for not worshiping God because God's made known to everyone his power, his authority, and his morality, that he is a just God and that he is a powerful God, and that he alone is worthy of worship. Everybody knows that. So, the the perverted, or perverted, uh, proverbial um, tribesman in the jungle who's never heard the gospel or seen a Bible or met a Christian is still completely without excuse for not worshiping God. Um, and it says that no one seeks after God. Everybody turns against God. So that is the sinful condition of man, but it's not an excuse. So he's saying he's, you're going into the land. You're going to keep the statutes and the judgments, which you shall be careful to do in the land, which Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days you live on the earth. Interesting phrase there at the end of verse 1 referring to the fact that this is temporal promises. This is the promise of a land to live in as long as you live on the earth. It's not a promise of heaven and eternal rewards. It's a promise that relates to a land here and now. It says, so he's going to give them the land, and when they come into the land... They are to destroy all of these holy places that the gods had, that the pagans had established for the worship of their gods. So, he says in verse 3, You shall tear down their altars and shatter their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire, and you shall cut the graven images of their gods in pieces and destroy their name from that place. <clears throat> so, destroy their altars destroy their idols, destroy their pagan temples, wipe them out. Um, 
all of the elements of Canaan, Canaanite worship, which included human sacrifice, by the way, were to be destroyed. And it said that the reason they were to be destroyed is because if they were not, then the people might mix the worship of God with these pagan practices. Syncretism. Um, we've seen that in Christian history. Um, Roman Catholics were masters at it. Um, it. It's interesting, if you ever look at, you know, voodoo, you know, video on YouTube of, of voodoo rituals and stuff, look on the voodoo altars. You will find crucifixes. You will find little statues of Mary or little statues of saints mixed in with the pagan stuff. Um, see the same thing around here. There are several, you know, 100-year-old or more over 100-year-old Roman Catholic missions here in, to, you know, that were to, to reach the Indians, the Native Americans. And they have... Native American themes and feels to them as the the Roman Catholics designed to adopt these things and call them Christian. So he says, they're not supposed to worship that way. That's what verse 4 is saying. You shall not do this toward Yahweh your God. The way the pagans worshipped is not to be the way that the Israelites worshipped. Instead, the Israelites were to worship God in the place that he chose. Now, notice there are multiple places for the pagan gods, but there's only one place to worship Yahweh. It was where he was going to set up the tabernacle. Later, it would become the temple in Jerusalem. But it was God who chose where to put his name, and it was God who chose the where, the when, and the how he was to be worshipped. That's an important thing to remember. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned the several classes I've been taking from Dr. Scott Annual. Um, he's a professor at GBTS, and of course he's a uh, works at G3. He's I think he's the chief editor of their content. So like. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the books or if he's just the online, but he's one of the top three guys at G3. Him and Josh Bice and Virgil Walker. Of course, Josh is over the whole thing, but you know, Josh and Virgil and Scott run G3 together. Um, not alone, but they're the top guys. And so Scott is teaching. Last summer, he taught a class on the theology of worship, and we talked about this a lot. And uh, now I'm taking his class on the Psalms, and we just met last night, so this is all fresh in my, in my head. But one of the things he said last night, and, and he said it last summer as well, is that the worship of the evangelical church in the West, um, the Western world, not the Western U.S., um, it would include the Western U.S., but he's talking about you know the United States, Canada, Europe, um, 
came out of the United States and what has resulted is the confluence of three streams. The oldest of these is revivalism, going back to Charles Finney. And this is, you know, a worship style that's designed to manipulate the audience, the, the, the worshiper, emotionally. And, and Charles Finney was a master of manipulation, and the music that surrounded the revivalist movement that he started is all designed to generate a, a, an emotional response, um, which, you know, hopefully they would answer the altar call at the end of the service. This is the, you know, 47 verses of just as I am stuff. And uh, then um, the, the second stream is late 19th, early 20th century Pentecostalism, which is, again, an emotionally manipulative um, type of music. The third stream is the church growth seeker-sensitive movement. Again, very manipulative, and and that's where you get the the churches on Sunday mornings that resemble the nightclubs on Saturday night, the lights and the smoke machines and all of that stuff. Well, those are the things that have shaped quote unquote modern worship, so that you know it doesn't have a biblical structure, and we've talked a lot about how the worship service was structured in the Old Testament and how that structure was adopted by the early church. And if you read some of the early church fathers as they describe worship services and then look at how the reformers and the Puritans conducted their worship services. I've got a, a, a book behind me on the shelf called Reformation Worship. And I can't remember the, the I believe it's an edited work of articles from different people, and I don't remember the editor's name, but he was looking at the the worship in the early Reformed Church, which would be, you know, Lutherism, you know, you know Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Bollinger, uh, Anglicanism, Puritanism, early English Baptists, and the, the formal structure, what we always call liturgical structure, of these services. And they were much more formal than what you're going to find in, you know, First Evangelical Church of Main Street. Um, with their fog machine and their lights. And so we see, you know, and... and you're thinking, okay, well, the Baptist church I went to as a child didn't resemble the modern megachurch, but it would have been more revivalist. The, the music I grew up with was, was revivalist music, and the worship service that I grew up with in Southern Baptist churches in the 60s and 70s in Georgia was revivalist. And then moved to Montana and... 
the church that we join now, which happens to be the same church I'm a member of now, um, was very much singing the Maranatha praise songs, which came out of the Pentecostal movement. So we see these streams um, you know, of, of worship and how worship was structured, how traditionally it's been this man-made structure as opposed to the biblical-based structure that God gave. God chose the where. God chose the how. And I think it's, it's very much to our detriment that we've stepped away from that. Um, I, I would encourage you to, to pick up and read the little book that Dr. Annual wrote called The Biblical Basis of Corporate Worship. I think that's the name of it. Um, little white book. It's available from G3. Is it G3 or is it a free press? I'm not sure. Um, I don't have it within arm's reach, so I can't look it up for you. Um, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's available on the G3 website. I just don't know who published it. Um, G3 Press has been publishing some stuff. But I would encourage you to pick up that. It's a little bitty book. It's not a real, you know, he's got a, a big book on worship, which is basically the class I took last summer. Um, called From Glory Unto Glory. And and that lays it all out in fine detail. But this little book, uh, The Biblical Basis of Corporate Worship, excellent book for thinking through these things about how do we and how should we structure the worship gathering, the corporate worship of the church. What's the purpose of it? How do we put it together? What what is the the reason for doing it the way we ought to do it? And uh, so I, I would encourage you to pick that up and read it um, if you haven't already. So he says, You shall seek Yahweh in the place which Yahweh your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. So they were to come to the place that God established and do the things that God had commanded. He says, There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. This is referring to all the things back in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. <laughs> Get them in order. Um, where, excuse me, God laid out to Moses what offerings were to be brought when and why and how those offerings were to be dealt with. Um, and, and so all of that was laid out there in, in the law. So he's saying here, he's pointing back to all of that and saying, this is the place where you do all that. Now for you know, 40 years, they've been doing this at the tabernacle. As they were wandering through the wilderness, they were, and, and remember, we think of them as wandering. The, it wasn't day by day stumbling through the desert. They would encamp at places for months, usually like seasons. They were like 
like you know nomadic tribesmen today they would you know move from winter pasture to summer pasture back to winter pasture there were several campsites over those 40 years that the nation of Israel moved between so it wasn't a day-by-day wandering lost in the desert which is the mental image that so many of us have they were living a nomadic lifestyle but they weren't constantly on the move they were staying at locations and and they were traditional locations they were places that they would go to year after year after year in the proper season so they had winter pasturage they had summer pasturage remember they had all their flocks and stuff with them plus they were being fed you know the manna but they were conducting their sacrifices and their rituals as God had prescribed at the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, well, it was a place. It was often found in different places. What he's saying here is there's going to become a place. Once you're settled in the promised land, there will be a place. Now, the the first place was Shiloh. And the tabernacle was there for several hundred years. And then it got moved to Jerusalem by David. And then Solomon built the temple and Jerusalem became the place. And it is referred to as the place where God set his name by the prophets. So Jerusalem was the place. And he said, that's where you're going to bring your offerings and your sacrifices and everything. That's where you're going to conduct all this stuff that I have told you to do and how I am to be worshipped. And then verse 7, there also you and your household shall eat before Yahweh your God and be glad in all that you sent forth your hand to do in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. The worship of Yahweh while we do pray for the things that we need give us this day our daily bread we pray for many things that we need from God the main purpose of the worship of Yahweh is twofold covenant renewal reminding the worshiper of his relationship to God and God's relationship to the worshiper, remembering the promises that have been made, remembering the things that have been done. So covenant renewal. The second thing is rejoicing in thanksgiving because of the things that God has done. So the, the, the pattern of worship was always who is God, who are we, confession of sin, renewing the relationship, and then thanksgiving. And so what we, many people don't think about the fact that, you know, what happened to the sacrifices? Now, the, the entire, except for the, the burnt offerings, which there were whole burnt offerings where the entire animal would be burnt on the altar. 
except for those, and those were not, those were the, those were a minor, I'm not saying they're minor that they were unimportant, but they were a small percentage of the, the offerings that were offered. Most of the time, a portion defined by the scriptures was burnt on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Then the rest of the offering was usually given to the priests to um, support them so that they would have food. Well, they, um, there were some offerings where you would bring an offering to God. Part of it would be burnt on the altar. And then you sat down and ate the rest of it. So basically you're having a, a barbecue with God at the temple in thanksgiving and rejoicing. Look what it says here in verse 7. There also you and your household shall eat before Yahweh God, your God and be glad in all that you send forth your hand to do in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. It's a, a thanksgiving feast eaten in the presence of God with joy and thanksgiving. So we have, and of course, we see the, you know, the Passover was eaten in the presence of God with your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, ready to, to depart in haste. But, um, but it was God who determined the where and the when. Um, it's uh, Leviticus 1 through 7 is where all of these different sacrifices and how they are to be carried out is, is listed. Um, so if you, if you really want to look into that, go read Leviticus chapter one through chapter seven, and it lays out the daily function at the tabernacle and how the, the ceremonies were supposed to be done. So the worship of God is holy and reverent, but it's also joyful and thankful. So there, there's these two elements. Now this is, like I said, this is a completely different type of worship than the pagans had. The pagan um, worship was always to try to get their God to do something for them. The worship of the true and living God is always to be focused on the marvelous, wonderful things that he has done for us and the promises he has given us. But we're not trying to... Pagan worship is trying to manipulate God to do the will of man. That's pagan worship. And we see that in the word faith movement. That's pagan worship. True Christian worship is in response to what God has done. You know, we don't, we're not trying to get God to do our will. We are trying to do God's will ourselves. Um, there was a, you know, I remember a discussion during, during a time of war where, where somebody said, you know, is God on our side? And 
to which someone else replied, I don't want God to be on my side. I want to be on God's side. That's a subtle difference. But boy, is it important. And that, in a, in a way, describes the worship of Yahweh, the proper worship of Yahweh, is that we worship him in according to how he has commanded us to worship in response to what he has done for us, as opposed to worshiping a false god in an effort to try to manipulate that god into doing what we want. And so that is Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Let's now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who can do no good thing apart from you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday, July 11th. I hope you have the best of days. Pray for me as I'm on the road. Uh, going to meet a friend for lunch. Looking forward to that. Um, uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, is a relatively new friend, and I'm looking forward to to sitting down and, and talking to him. Um, and, and just having some time, one-on-one -on -one time with him as we, we endeavor to get to know each other. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but pray for me because I got a two and a half hour drive up there and a two and a half hour drive back. So yes, I'm driving five hours to grab lunch with a guy, but Hey, it's worth it, right? Have a great day. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. 
Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Scroll Chat. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.